Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors, your tax depreciation experts. I've got an expert for you today as well, Andre Vinogradov, who's the founder of Property Buyers Team. We have a chat to Andre about his background growing up in Russia and how he started his career in land surveying. I ask him what that taught him about property investing and development, and it turns out a fair bit. Property development's his vehicle of choice, so we're having a chat to him about what he does for his clients. We talk about development from an attractiveness point of view, weighed up with the risks of getting it wrong. We have a chat to him about what the most important things are to get right within a development, how to be an armchair developer, and much, much more, including managing risks. It's an awesome interview with Andre, and I hope you get a lot out of it. Here he is. Andre Vinogradov, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing very well. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thanks for asking. Beautiful. And I didn't uh, make a meal of the pronunciation of your name too much? No, it was nearly perfect. Nearly. As good as it gets. <laughs> um, we were just sort of saying prior to recording, my uh, my Russian is extremely limited, uh, and so we will conduct the uh, entirety of this interview in English, just so it's intelligible. Um, Andre, for anyone who hasn't come across you, can you let us know a bit of a background of who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, my background is in town planning. I worked uh, most of my life my life as a land surveyor, and then I started um, real estate agency. Um, so I'm fully licensed real estate agent, but I'm specialising in uh, buyer's agency field. So, and uh, my niche is uh, development sites. Uh, but that's that's only um, small portion of my overall revenue. Uh, the majority of what I'm doing is concentrating, and that's where Live and Breathe is a property development. Yeah, beautiful. And of course, we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper. But give us a bit of a background into the young Andre. What were the posters on the bedroom wall growing up? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, I didn't have a room for myself as such. Uh, I shared my room with my grandma and grandpa. There was a massive piano in the middle of the room that would divide partially um, my grand- grandparents' space and uh, my and my brother's space. So the only wall I had is a bed head on my bed where would post uh, where would, would I stick the stickers from a turbo chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> right, that was the only real estate that you had at your disposal. <laughs> it's not real estate; it was more like. Um, cars you know yep um yeah and uh, i was thinking maybe about having my little uh, house on a tree but there wasn't any suitable tree uh, in our backyard to have it <laughs> so, i've got to say 
<laughs> I, I I have to say, uh, culturally, I can be extremely naive and rely on stereotypes, which is never a great thing. But if there's, uh, I mean, the the story that you're painting, you know, a, a, a big shared room, a piano. I mean, this sounds all very sort of stoic and and existentially Russian. Um, I think in in the West we see um, Russians as kind of hard, sort of deliberate people that uh, often exceed through sheer will and bloody-mindedness. How, how much of that is stereotype? How much of that is potentially offensive, for which I apologise after the fact? And how much of that is really true? I guess um, what you said is true on the surface, um, which is really true. We come across uh, direct that, that usually being confused with being arrogant, yep. but I don't think there's anything wrong to being direct, direct in the first place without, um, you know, all this, uh, how are going and how, how's the weather and stuff like that. Let's get to the business, you know, straight away. Yeah. Um, yeah, but once you dig a little bit deeper, um, you, you, you will know that, um, we are, uh, as Russians, we are uh, quite soft. Once we get to know each other, we don't really, um, we're really participating in, in each other's life. Uh, so very empathetic, I would say, when, when we do get to know, uh, people around us and we, we help a lot. Um, example of that would be my grandpa, um, would take, days, weeks, months off to help his brothers to build a house one by one and he got his house the last. Right. And then he wouldn't take uh, a dollar for that. Um, I don't know. But that, that's just uh, something that came, came in my mind first, first up, which is probably something I was uh, really impressed by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that... Um, and he had yeah. seven brothers. Also, I don't oh, know wow. exactly, but he's a, he had uh, approximately about seven brothers and sisters. I don't know. I don't get exactly to details because I need to check. But don't quote me on the exact well there, well, there you go. I mean, that is uh, that is extremely admirable, and there's nothing wrong with getting straight to the point. Um, so, in that uh, in that vein, talk to us about property. How did you get started, and what was your first investment? Um, that's interesting. I never thought about investing as such. I was always, uh, I was always consumed by, uh, hard work, uh, you know, um, trying to get ahead coming from, um, family, um, a little bit restricted in, uh, uh financial power. Uh, I was always striving for, uh, to get, to get a, to get a good job work hard and get a promotion and get more money and be sustainable and looking look in the future with some you know something that makes me feel confident you know with the confidence um so that's 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 how i started first just looking or some some certainty in my life, but then I haven't thought about investment until I actually 
came to Australia, which is was about eight years ago. And my my it was it was so easy to make money in Australia. I was really surprised. Maybe given my uh, background and uh, expertise and uh, experience, that's why it didn't take me long to. I think within a year, me and my wife we saved for first investment property, which we bought in uh, in Melbourne. Being from Sydney, I don't know how we come across making this decision, but that's what we did. And then by the time settlement day came in, uh, a year later, I just realized I've been working as a land surveyor here. So I realized how quick property development moves and what's, what are the disproportional uh, rewards you're getting for uh, such a such a short period of time. I don't say it's, it happens overnight, but for the for the returns for the returns that property development offer is uh, quite substantial and it's quite a quick turnaround. So by the time we were notified about the settlement settlement, I saw quite a few developments uh, going through and some of them completing, and I just realised that there's a better way to invest uh, rather than into off-the-plan apartments. Yeah. Even though they cost you nothing to hold, it's still, you can, you can only buy so much. But even though if you go into the field of positive cash flow uh, apartments or houses or regional properties, I just realized that, again, you can only buy so much of them. And then even though they're making fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year, how many of them do you need to have to make a decent living of it? So we decided to um, not settle on the property. So we lost uh, most of the deposit. Uh, but with what we had, I invested in um, property development courses to understand financial side of the property development. And that's uh, and my real my first investment property was a three ten house site. Oh wow! So you you pulled out of the Melbourne one, and technically uh, the first thing that you actually delivered was a development itself, um, yeah. which is which is an unusual way to to get into into property. But of course, with your your background, it makes sense. And we're, and we're going to to talk a little bit more about the development side of things. But I just wanted to take a bit of a, a step back. Um, obviously, when uh, I see a, a, a name like yours and hear the accent, I'm curious about sort of what it's like growing up obviously we got a little bit of an insight into the into the intro but whereabouts did you live and and what was it like where you grew up and how did that sort of shape you as an adult yeah i hope i didn't i didn't i'm not going to take too much time in that because it's it's interesting by a long story but i'll try to cut it as short as possible mm-hmm. so um i grew up in a in a big house in a big country house it was about uh, seven kilometers from uh, Moscow, and um, I live with my grandparents, um, my mum, and uh, my auntie. My mum had two uh, kids, me and my brother, and my auntie had two kids. My uh, the, so my two of my my two siblings. So we all uh, live together in one house. Um, giving the uh, background of my parents, my grandpa. I served in Second World War, 
and uh, he had the bomb explosion in his hands. So he didn't. I think he had a few fingers uh, oh, wow. on, the, on the boss' hands. So that made him um, not um, not being able to get the uh, job uh, appropriate to his um, physical capacity and mental capacity because he's restricted with. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say he was dis- like disabled in a way, and um, that all he ended up uh, being uh, us uh, growing on a on a in a country house with a with quite a big uh, uh, block. So we had um, some cattle, uh, cows, goats, chickens. We would uh, grow uh, all the vegetables and we would have a meat and milk so saying that so we didn't have to actually go out we were self-sustained within within our property and um, obviously my grandparents when my parents were young would have some you know small jobs here and there like a security or something like that which just doesn't require much of uh, manual handling mm. and yeah, and we would grow, uh, would have a nursery part of our um, property where we would grow nursery plants and we would sell them on the market uh, in in spring. And then we would grow flowers and send them, sell them in autumn. Also would sell, would grow cattle, would sell meat, would sell milk. So that's how we would go about uh, with uh, buying clothes and some equipment. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my mom had the uh, brain tumor, so she couldn't work either. She was really um, one one of the successful who survived that uh, terrible disease and mm. alive in her nearly seventies. So her ability to work full time was also limited. That's why that gradually uh, left us uh, being a. Uh, farmers in a way <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. i mean yeah obviously that's um that's a, a a pretty tough childhood i guess to to grow up um but what's interesting is that you're talking about essentially a small farm but only seven kilometers from from moscow is it is it not as big a city as we're used to in the west i mean that sort of seems unusual um um uh, we we had uh, around us is is a protected uh, water protected territory because we're very close to the water. Uh, right, it's a river with a dam and a, a Moscow uh, northern and northern and western side of the Moscow. They pumping water from that river and from that dam. So um, it is basically a water protect protected um, area. Where not much development is happening, so that's yeah. that's why uh, I would say it sounds really unusual having yeah. a small farm within only seven kilometers. <laughs> yeah, sure. And your your professional background you you referenced earlier in the in the podcast um, as a regional town planner was that sort of always the the dream growing up, or how, did was it something you fell into? Um, I don't think I was any different to anyone else. I had no idea what I was going to do when I was finishing the school. 
that I was I was playing soccer for about ten years. Um, so I was I was playing in the club for ten years, and uh, my coach uh, influenced quite a bit uh, over me since I didn't have a father. I think he, he, he put quite a bit of his values in my head, and not only my head, but all my uh, you know mates in the in, in the team. And uh, his father worked uh, at uh, at the uni of Town Planning University, and he said, right. Look, I don't know anything about about the what about your future or how you want to do it, but look, this is the option. Look, look at that; it's it's a good profession. It's really rare. You will be in demand, and it's up to you. And I look at it, uh, being um, uh, mechanic as 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 my uh, within my soul. I was thinking that if I'm not mechanic as such, I'll be you know surveying. It's Technical enough profession uh, <laughs> um, that would uh, suit me perfectly was yeah. my um, was my character. So that's how he ended up uh, being uh, in talent planning industry. Yeah, and as a surveyor, I mean, typically we think about the chappies with the tripod tripods in high vis on the side of the road doing something inscrutable but you you actually worked for nearly two decades on some really big projects like uh to do with the development of the the olympic games uh site in russia the formula one track in russia which sounds very exciting what's your actual role in those projects yeah um that was a very interesting um me and my wife, we took it as adventure uh, to go somewhere uh, in the car with our pillows and <laughs> and the blanket, and not even not even having job. Um, so it, we took it as adventure. We drove two thousand kilometers from Moscow to Sochi, and then because we knew when the Winter Olympic Games were announced that they were going to be in Russia. We knew there's a massive development coming in because mm. back then Sochi was just a village with nothing around it, and we knew if it's going to be the Olympic Games venue, it's going to it's, it's it's going to be really massive. It's going to be massive development in there. So we moved there. I think it's 2010. Just 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 when when demand started started to raise and with when uh, all the Preliminary and design works were finished, and ground works just hit. So we arrived there, and I got the job within, I think, three or four days. So I started as a as a team member, and then in about three or four months, I became a team leader. Um, and just to explain what the land survey means in Russia, it's not we don't really. Um, Specifies a cadastral lens surveyor or construction lens surveyor or engineering lens uh, lens surveyor. We just, if you survey, you need to do, you should be able to do everything. If you can't do everything, then you are uh, just a trainee for someone else until you learn how to do everything. Yeah. So basically, every team member uh, is self-sufficient and and produce the works, all the works on its own, given the uh, certain area uh, in the development they just look after that and they're independent but being team leader 
is a slightly more than just the producer work. So we we started. I started to work on a mountain road that would take to the ski slopes, super slalom, you know, some massive ski slopes, then the bobsleigh tracks, um, and, and 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 stuff like that. Um, and then once we finished the road, we would then move into the Olympic Village. It's like it's, it was a C cluster where the all the stadiums, all the um, um, uh, villages for the athletes were built, and that's where, we, where I spent the most of my of my time is, uh, uh, is uh, building stadium. Um, there was a massive information center, the size of of that information center was uh, what's called media media center. Uh, the size of that was similar to a uh, small stadium. Just was yeah, wow. amazing. Yeah. And As all, they broadcast around the world. Yeah, yeah. And all and in between all the stadiums, there was uh, it was planned to have a F one track. So all the roads within the village were designed from day one to 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 hold to hold the um, F one track later on after the Olympic Games completed. Yeah. So that's how that's how it's all started, and uh, I was. Part of developing uh, the F1 track, but only to a certain level. Uh, obviously, um, bitumen uh, was uh, laid by. Um, I think Germans they came in with, uh, with a specific bitumen, and they laid the bitumen. But everything before was done by by us. Pretty pretty cool stuff. What I'm wondering what Lancevang taught you about property investing and property development. Obviously, um, there's a town planning component, there's a surveying com- component in development. What what did you take from that that you've used? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I guess um, I, I saw the projects become live. Uh, I saw them from the beginning when... There was nothing, and then over a period of time, there are structures, there are buildings. There's something that's got the value in it. So I guess that's where um, that's my. I think I guess what how how would I call it? I call it uh, observation of the project, uh, passive observation of the quite a bit of projects. Is where I learn visually first, without getting into details of uh, property development. Now, I want to talk about your uh, investment in, in in property and property development. Obviously, development is the is the vehicle of choice for you. I think you you mentioned earlier about the returns you're able to get and the then the short time frame to be able to complete those. What's a typical development that you would normally do and what sort of time frame are we talking about? Yeah, uh, my expertise is doing from three units to it could be small uh, three unit, three apartment block. Uh, with a concrete structure, or it could be just the three townhouses up to um, 15 townhouses, or 
18 apartments, small three-story apartment block, uh, like with the basement parking, which is infield in um, close to town center or within a town center. So yeah. that that's my expertise. Not not the land development and house packages as such, but more like the infield development. I'll probably say. Is, is there a reason why that's your specialty? I mean, is that training or is that the sweet spot from a risk-return point of view for you? I guess uh, I, I consciously made a decision to work with um, everyday families and uh, they, they are my uh, best clients. And given the um, average uh, savings and um borrowing capacity of the everyday families by putting two families together by turning them into competitive develop the uh, unit uh, which uh, is really competitive on the market and can compete with uh, everyday professional uh, developers but to yep. suit that unit of two families you can't you can't really uh, go too far with the size um, sure development. That's why I found that my sweet spot is um, basically dictated by total development cost and uh, um, deposit required required for the development. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So facilitating joint ventures is obviously part of what you're doing with, with your business property buyers team. What other sort of services do you offer? Um, what, what other sort of specialty do you do? do you offer to to clients that are coming in contact with you the give for growth property investing podcast is presented by our business mcg quantity surveyors if you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au it's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Yeah, I guess uh, just to reiterate what I said uh, originally, uh, my ma- uh, majority of my revenue comes from uh, property development, uh, uh, property development itself, and then small of the revenue comes from the uh, buyer's agency business. And what we prefer, uh, what we uh, do for our clients, we we are sourcing development sites, um, which deliver um, around fifty to seventy percent return on invest- investment. When we're talking about return on investment, uh, we're talking about uh, development sites, not for the clients. It's, it's a bit yeah. So is this is this basically development site spotting that you're talking about, or, or you're actually uh, sort of going ahead with these these Acquisitions. Um, when, I'm, when I'm talking about um, um, sourcing development sites as a, from the buyer's agency perspective, mm-hmm. then I'm not. I'm, it's not uh, such a supporting. I, I, I follow up. I source the sites. I prepare all the due diligence for that, like a concept plans, town plan report, civil engineer report. I do uh, sales appraisals. I do build cost appraisals based on the concept plans. Um, so that's sort of uh, details I'm going into before I present uh, development site for um, for the client. Yeah. 
Where, that, uh, we 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 offer, uh, but that's that's if we if we go if, if I go as a as a bias agent anymore. But most of the time, um, apart from sourcing the site, uh, I'm doing uh, we are doing uh, project management uh, of that site all the way from the acquisition to the completion uh, to the sale, which is the sale of the last um, uh, dwelling into development. Uh, also, we're facilitating um, return. We're facilitating uh, fifteen to thirty percent return for investors for investing investing in our development sites, and also we um, facilitate joint ventures. Uh, as I said earlier, um, mm. we uh, we have a um, inner circle team, uh, which is. Um, 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 uh, our bias agency community, and we uh, matching people, who are leveraging leveraging each other's strengths towards uh, being able to do development. So we we offer a range of, of, of services, but it's all um, directed towards the outcome is uh, doing development and um, helping each of our member to. Um, to be able to be part of the project. I yeah. I don't and, know if it's a bit complicated. But, uh, no, that's okay. The, and I, I wanted to sort of ask about development as, a, as I guess, an investment choice as distinct from purchasing an, a residential property or a commercial property. Uh, it's something that looks very attractive from the outside looking in because you can often achieve some great returns, perhaps higher than you would in in capital growth in an established property, for example. But there's some there's there's risks and pitfalls that go uh, part and parcel with that higher return. Does anything stand out to you in your experience? Yeah, I guess I've got a few things to um, tell about here. Um, I would say um, the, the something that really puts me off a lot is, is how people calculate calculating return on investment and return on cost. Mm-hmm. It seems like um, um, uh, everyone does it to um, to or uses the data that allows him eventually to come up with twenty percent, which is um, I don't think it's 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 the right way to do. I think you need to um, uh, be mindful of all the uh, expenses that going into the project and work with all the expenses rather than choose the one that uh, eventually gives you the number that is sufficient for you or justify your decision to purchase. Yeah. Um, I guess that's the first thing that really. Uh, annoys me on the on the on the market as not being able to use uh, appropriately um, uh, return on investment and return on cost. But also um, another thing that puts me off again is that I see a lot of projects not going ahead because of um, developers not calculating bill cost appropriately. Um, there is a there is a um, uh, technique that is really spread out in a, um, among developers or uh, beginners about uh, 
rate per square meter. Yes. Is, uh, if not used correctly or not used in the appropriate uh, context, can lead um, into hundreds of thousands of dollars of miscalculation of the development cost if you don't know how to apply it appropriately. And uh, what I found, what I find that uh, most of the time, uh, beginners don't don't apply the formula appropriately. <laughs> uh, yes. To give, give an example, um, people thinking that um, 70 square meters, um, two, two bedroom duplex should cost about $200,000 because they're looking at the cost of the granny flat and apply these numbers per square meter and saying mm. this is just a little bit bigger. So, where, where, where they end, end, if you're doing two or three of them, you're already, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of residual costs. That's, I, I see that as a main reason why a lot of developments are not going ahead. Yeah, and those those sort of high-level square metre rates don't allow for regional indices a lot of the time. So if you're building in, in Sydney, it's a different cost to if you're building in, in Wollongong and, of course, further afield. And then you might have a sloping site, which increases your costs. You can have access issues. There's preliminaries costs that might not necessarily be part of that square metre rate. So, yeah, it's um it might be sort of a bit of a rough guy, but to do a development based on chucking a square Square meter rate at something is it's something that gets a lot of people in trouble. And as a quantity surveyor, obviously we get a bit involved in those sorts of those sorts of issues. Anything else that sort of stands out, um, Andre, as 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 a as a big yes. risk in development well, projects? I guess the uh, overinflating overinflating the sales. Yes, I guess there are three pillars of the development for me uh, personally: is the purchase price sales and the build cost because once once for me is to get these three figures right and you shouldn't have any problems because if you stuff stuff out everything in between it's only pocket money whereas if you stuff you know the um, gross realization value or build cost you're in big troubles doesn't matter how good you got the other expenses um, so I guess uh, gross realization value is really important. It's not that uh, a lot of people trying to uh, push it high and include um, average growth in a suburb or in an area to um, to accommodate these growth in the next year or two, which I think is is a, is a terrible mistake to do. You're only putting yourself under uh, a lot of pressure and putting yourself in a corner uh, before you even started without any room to move. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely critical and things can go pear-shaped pretty quickly. You, you've you've um, mentioned uh, part of what you do or a service that you offer is armchair development. What, what does that actually mean? I guess uh, for me, armchair development is uh, when a person uh, can earn the money and at the same time, being able to be part of the project with the choice whether he wants to participate, participate actively participate or not. That's what it means for me. 
So you could just have a financial interest in the development, but you'd be outsourcing the project management and the construction and the sales and all that sort of stuff um, to other parties? That's correct. And have a choice whether you want to be actively involved and learn or doing what are you doing or making money where you're making money. Because uh, what I found uh, a lot of investors, they, they, they're not making their mainstream income in development. Uh, the fact that they invest into the development is a result of them making uh, good money somewhere else. So they continue to make good money somewhere else, whether it's business or PYG uh, or anything like that. Um, so that's where they continue to concentrate. And if they want to learn about development, they can, but they don't have to. And if they choose not to participate actively in the project, they're still getting their returns and earning their money. So this is a service that obviously you you can provide, you can broker. If there's someone that's wanting to get involved in an armchair development type deal, you know, outside of contacting you, yourself, how, how would people find out about being able to do that? I mean, can can people off the street contact a developer that they see acting locally and get some skin in the game or how is it normally brokered? Well, I guess uh, first, which is important for me, is I want to make sure, and I guess everyone should be interested in their financial capacity, not as they see it, but as bank sees them, given the circumstances they, they, they are in. So I guess uh, for me it's most important that uh, people and investors and family, they're making a uh, decision based uh, on advice, external advice, whether it's financial advisor or uh, mortgage broker who can uh, calculate their financial position as they are today and where they're going. I guess uh, that's that's a part of the success uh, uh, for me as a developer to have uh, investors on board who know where they're at first where they're going rather than have a random people who uh, I'm not sure if I can rely on or, or may need to pull out due to circumstances around them because yeah. they're not planning their life. That, that can affect the whole project and potentially other investors in the project. So that, that's my answer to you. Yes, I guess people may walk on the street and be part of the project. Yes, they can do it, but should should they be doing it without knowing where they're at and where they're going? It's, I guess it's not up to me to make decisions. <laughs> it's up to them if they want to roll the dice, but you've got to accept the risk, of course. Let's talk about finance. So with with the projects that you do, let, let's take an example. You know, let's say you're doing um, some townhouses or something like that. Typically, how are the, the projects financed? Well, um, in a nutshell, every project finance uh, pretty much similar. And uh, developer puts deposit which is 20 to 30 percent of development cost let's say let's not talk let's not get into details 
let's put it this way, developer puts deposit, bank, bank puts the rest. So for developer, uh, it's important to find a deposit. So that's where investors come in. They yep. come in for that deposit. So they make up this deposit for the return. And once developer has a deposit, they can apply for the bank to get the rest. That's how it typically it works. Um, in a nutshell, without getting into real meeting really of this. Is it something, and, um, um, is that what you're asking or do you want to ask a bit more questions? I'm happy to talk in the real yeah, no, about it. I have no problem. No, that, no, I mean, that's probably a completely different episode, all the different funding options and, and those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, I was I typically interested in, in the deposit and that and, um, how that works. So you, you've explained that very well. Um, when it comes to these projects that you're doing, so, you know, between sort of three, um, three dwellings and, and I think you said 16 or 18, if you're talking about apartments, typically what sort of return are you aiming for and what sort of return would the investors be expecting if they are doing a JV or an armchair role? Okay. Um, let's say uh, if they're coming as a, obviously there are, in every project, there are two stages of the funds uh, that are required. Stage one is an acquisition. So whoever comes at the acquisition state, stage, obviously uh, uh, is relying on the higher returns because uh, in a way, as it's protrated in the a, in a, in a, in a public, it's a more risk involved when you come at, at the beginning. So you should yes. be expecting a higher returns or you should be expecting being a joint venture uh, of the with a with developer, so we're talking about um, 20, 25 to thirty percent return, I guess, in this stage. But once you um, acquire the site, you've got all the development approvals and uh, construction drawings, and you're ready to go and apply uh, to bank for the finance for the construction. That's where second stage of um, Finance comes in, and that's where um, uh, investors come in again. But once they coming in on the side, which is uh, already acquired, that's got development approval, that that uh, the builder already put in the contract, all the unknowns already known. That's where um, I found people who's a bit more um, with a less uh, risk appetite. That's where they come in, but obviously their returns is a bit lower. We're talking about 15 to 20% per annum. Yeah. So yeah, so it's to a sa safer bet. Yeah, to summarize, if, if investor comes to the beginning, it's about 25 to 30%. Um, and then if it's JV, and we're talking about annually, and then we're talking about over two years, we're talking about, 50 to 60% return on their investment. But once you come into stage two, investing into the de approved known site, um, that's where you're aiming at that 15 to 20 annually, which is about 30 to 40 uh, overall. 
Right. Yeah. Well, so I can see why you've um, you've found your your niche in the development side of things. When it comes to uh, people that are wanting to get involved in in development, obviously you have the town planning background, the surveying background. H- how important is that to to your sort of trade craft? And and is that something that you think people need to at least have an understanding of if they're wanting to to do developments themselves? Well, I guess it's uh, hugely beneficial <laughs> from my perspective <laughs> because I can uh, cut off all the noise before uh, I make the offer. Uh, once you're in position to see, uh, so again, just to come, come back to the basics, development has two sides. First is to know what you can do and second is being able to calculate how much it would cost you and how much he would make the profit. So basically being coming from the uh, land survey and town planning background, one side of the problem is already covered where, you know, when you can make uh, an initial decision about involving all the professional at the initial stage before before you're actually making the offer uh, to the vendor. And then all you need to do is just once you see that uh, offer is within the ballpark and then a vendor is indicating that your office is considered, that's where you hit hard to get all these um, reports to confirm that what you think is actually what it is in the real world. And compared to uh, people who are coming in into development without uh, um, town planning background, I would say it's just to add extra layer of, of work that's required and extra uh, time factor. So for them to understand whether this site is actually uh, to figure out the yield of the project, they need to uh, consult with a town planner or architect, which takes time. Um, and then once they collect all the data and they know what they can do, that's where they make the offer. By that time, I'm already, my offer could already be accepted. <laughs> so there you go. I guess that's the, that's a small edge that I have uh, on top of the uh, other developers. I guess it's yep. time um, is really important, but I think that's that's the only thing I would think about. Everything else could be achieved by outsourcing once you have a bit of a business mindset. Uh, I don't think. Um, anything can be on your way to achieve your goals. Beautiful. Now, Andre, if people are wanting to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, um, the easy, I guess it's a standard procedure. You go to the um, website, which is propertybiosteam.com.au or you can send me email at andre at propertybiosteam.com .com.au, or you can find me on the most popular social media such as Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. When you search Beautiful. Property Buyers Team. Property Buyers Team, Andre, easy to find on all the channels. Andre, uh, I've enjoyed chatting to you today. If there's one piece of advice that you can give to investors or would-be developers, what would that be? I guess... Um, I'll give you um, this one. Uh, 
when you're buying a brand new car, you're spending money on insurance to protect your investment. I guess similar applies to property development. When you're buying development site, you must spend money on getting paid professional advice, which is in writing or in the form of the report. This will ensure that your principal is protected. So the main message here, you can't go and get advice for free because the quality of advice is equivalent <laughs> to what you pay for. So spend your money, get things right, ensure that your principal is safe. Yeah, and I guess the people sort of worry about the report or the expert advice advising them that the project doesn't stack and then that's lost money, but really it's saved money in the end, isn't it? Exactly. Looking, you can't predict everything, but you need to make sure that you saw all the red flags. I think that the best you can do is to do something with what you've got, to, to make a decision based on the information that you have. You can't get all the information, but just to do the best with what you've got. Beautiful. I think that's sound advice. And uh, thanks for sharing your, your wisdom today, Andre. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Cheers. Cheers.